this is interminable and I cannot wait. And, and I think the thing for me, and, and I know a lot of people I'm talking to are feeling this way, the idea that we thought like we were in some sort of competition and we could see the finish line and that finish line moved, you know, about two weeks ago. Welcome to Education on the Rocks. This is the Hold Out Hope for a Hero edition, and I'm joined as always. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna start over. My voice sounded weird. Take a drink. All right, take two. <clears throat> Welcome to Education on the Rocks. I'm your host, John Bullock, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, George Haggerty. George, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, John. Happy 2022, or at least welcome to 2022, if it's not a happy one thus far. <laughs> exactly. It is. It's welcome to 2022. And we've been gone a little bit. We took a little extended holiday break, um, but we're back with the Holding Out for a Hero edition. And so uh, we tap into uh, some of our, what is that? That's an 80s movie That's reference, right? That's, That's Footloose. footloose. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So we're continuing with the theme of aging ourselves in our uh, titles and topics, but... Uh, it's, uh, it's good to be back after the break. And um, many folks might not know this. We're recording at night for the first time in a while. S- many of our episodes uh, from earlier this season were recorded bright and early on Saturday mornings. And so... Um, <laughs> Which is a little frightening for our audience. <laughs> right? <laughs> to know that we're just nipping at the whiskey at 6 a.m. But hey, anything for, for the pod. Anything yep. for the pod. The after dark edition <laughs> couldn't get dangerous tonight, folks. That's right. I'm I am uh, I'm ready to go. We we I watched uh, the national championship football game, and uh, so I'm all set to you know to talk education and uh, drink some whiskey. So what do, what do you got to, what do you got in your glass today? I've got an Irish uh, an Irish whiskey that I'm not sure. I think you may have had it once uh, on the show before. It's called Writer's Tears, um, which I'm in the midst of trying to get a few things together and my tears are flowing. And so these tears taste a lot better than the salt that leaks out of my eyes. How about you? What do you got going? <laughs> I'm excited today. I've got this great new bottle of whiskey that I uh, tried over the break. It's uh, called Three Shores Whiskey. It's produced in Seattle by the Ula Distillery. And this is their Whiskey Discourse series. And I uh, got it from a, a good friend of mine uh, who lives up in Seattle. And this this Three Shores World Whiskey, the Discourse Series, is a blend of three iconic whiskeys from different nations, and it's a Highland Scotch combined with a Canadian whiskey and a High Rye American whiskey all in one uh, pour, and it is one of the most interesting whiskeys I've ever tasted, and it's, uh, it's delicious. conversation with each other than the Discourse? <laughs> What are they saying? <laughs> well, they're telling me that I should probably pour uh, pour two or three fingers to get uh, get the podcast going right. Sweet. So uh, we're we're excited to be back with everybody. Um, we're going to talk about uh, well, believe it or not, we're going to talk about COVID today and the Hold Now for Hero edition. But we want to thank you for joining us. Remind you, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us uh, on our on our Facebook page. You can follow us on. Uh, the website at educationontherocks.com, and we're just happy to be back with you. And this, George, is episode 30. Yeah. Well, happy birthday. It's our 30th. That's I right. I, 
<laughs> I haven't been that young in years, decades, no. decades no. even. <laughs> Me too. Well, uh, we'll get we'll get right to this. Uh, we want to encourage everybody to take a pause, take a sip, and we'll be right back after this sponsor break. On August 16, 1991, the first website was created on the World Wide Web. Now, in 2021, there are billions of websites online. And did you know that 55% of small businesses don't even have a website? Well, at Mooney Marketing, they lift your business to the next level by designing your business an affordable, mobile-friendly website with professional business photography, video production, SEO, design concepts, and color schemes. With 2020 behind us, but the pandemic still hanging around, customers and consumers are searching for products and companies online now more than ever. This Redmond-based marketing firm also enjoy... I'm going to cut that after color schemes and start again. <clears throat> With 2021 behind us, but the pandemic still hanging around, customers and consumers are searching for products and companies online now more than ever. This Redmond-based marketing firm also offers logo design, advertising, branding, storytelling, and social media marketing services. For more information on Mooney Marketing, check out their website at mooney-marketing.com or give them a call at 541-280-7412. That's Mooney Marketing at mooney-marketing.com. Welcome back to Education on the Rocks. Today, George and I are sitting down to record our 30th episode, and we wanted to thank all of you who listen in as we muse on the nuances of education, education policy, and what it means to be a part of the American school system. As we ring in yet another year in the shadow of COVID, the Omicron variant, which a couple of months ago we probably would have thought of as one of the minor evil superheroes in a Marvel movie, is changing the face of public education yet again. Some schools are wide open, some schools are fully remote, and that's in the same town. In this episode, we're going to ponder what we should do as students, as teachers, and as administrators in the midst of yet another wave of coronavirus infections. As we ask, how does the American school system recover from the pandemic, even if we're still living in the pandemic? We are holding out for a hero on today's episode of Education on the Rocks. So, George, what is, uh, what's going on in your educational neck of the woods? Are schools open? Well, um, I would say yes and no. <laughs> um, uh, UC Davis, is. they brought us, they said it about two or three days before uh, the term started that we were going to do our first week uh, remotely. And then um, Thursday afternoon, they said, well, we're going to hold out and we're going to stay remote until the end of January, essentially, which is, you know, for, and they're looking at the numbers and I'm looking at the numbers. And, and so it is what it is. Uh, however, I went for a run the other day uh, at around lunchtime and I live right by elementary, middle and high school. So I ran by all three and the students are in classes there. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening down here. Well, it's interesting across the country, there are, all sorts of solutions happening. For example, Seattle public school system on the first day back from winter break did not have classes and offered free testing for any students and staff who wanted to partake of that. We know that in Chicago, uh, teachers went on strike, uh, you know, to, to ensure health and safety conditions. Uh, in, in my neck of the woods, so to speak, schools are open, they're in person, but students have remote options. 
Uh, and now, however, in some of the bigger cities in our areas, uh, schools are starting to shut down uh, due to the Omicron variant. And it's at best, it's a mixed bag. And I feel for all the people who are trying to make those decisions and all the people who are living through those decisions because it's not easy. Yeah, it seems like for you, it must be like every night is a potential snow day the next day, you know, in our kind of prior world where it was, hey, I'm looking at the forecast. And then, you know, you get up the next morning at four o'clock to check the roads and you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, essentially. Yeah, it feels that way because what we know is that this variant and its impacts on education are different than the initial uh, infection and the Delta, because at this point, people are convinced we can run schools safely. And I think we've done a good job of that. We've taken uh, federal dollars and invested it in upgraded HVAC systems. Uh, we've got filtration systems that, uh, in most of our rooms that filter the fresh air into the room four times an hour. So we're, we've invested heavily in doing that. So we have some ways to protect students. But the fact that this, uh, that this variant is so easily transmissible it is hard to keep out of schools. And we're starting to see that. And the impact now is not so much the fear of infection as it is the inability to keep enough staff out of quarantine at any given time to effectively run school. And, and I think that's what some of the school districts that are closing down are facing. And, and that's, a, that's a unique twist. But hidden in that is the desire to keep everybody safe. And so is it possible to get this right? I mean, wh what do you think? Is there, how do you make a right decision in all this? Yeah. And I think that that's that I think that for all of us that we're always in situations where, you know, there's a lot of Monday night quarterbacking going on, um, where we're looking back and thinking and second guessing almost every decision that leadership is making. And I think that what you articulated is really accurate that th these there isn't going to be a right answer. Um, and I think that now that the pandemic has shifted to, I, I'm really starting to think about the Omicron. I read an article somewhere and I can't properly cite it right now. It's becoming endemic. And so I think that this is what it's, variations of this are what it's going to look like for a long time to come. And so I think that right now we're learning to kind of negotiate a world in which, um, which COVID is going to be kind of some sort of constant uh, going forward. And, and I think that anytime we're do, dealing with something brand new in education or any other field, it's pretty sloppy at first. And, and this feels to me kind of sitting where I am uh, a little bit sloppy. Uh, and, and I think that the communication, and, and I guess that that's my, my answer is the best way to get it right is to communicate as clearly and as transparently as possible with, with all your constituents, with your stakeholders. Yeah, and what I'm seeing at the university where I serve on the board is incredible transparency with the student population, the faculty, staff population, and then the community at large. I mean, there's a, you know, like many universities, a, a COVID update webpage that gets updated on a regular basis, if not daily, and there, the determination was to begin classes primarily in person for winter term, um, but that, uh, you know, people had to be cleared for on-campus uh, purposes. And so they've got updated statistics about the number of people, clear, you know, cleared, the percentage of people vaccinated, 
all very high numbers, but at the same time, we have a daily posting of areas on campus where someone tested positive. Right. And so that people know, and each day it's grown higher and higher and higher where somebody's tested positive. Um, and so people have to make, you know, decisions about, you know, was I in close contact? You know, was I within six feet of somebody for a total of 15 minutes or more? And, you know, then we, then we get into the ways in which we quarantine. And all of these are about safety precautions to keep people healthy, right? Mm -hmm. But the impact on the educational environment and the psyche of the people working there and the students, not just at my university, but at, across the country in high schools and universities, um, it just feels like it's it just feels like every day there's more to think about, right? Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Down here, because we we get the same we get the same uh, notice every day, and so you can decide to click on it or not. And I think at the begin at the beginning of the of the fall term, I looked at it just to see, oh, was I in any of these places? But I, I pretty quickly abandoned that just simply because um, it was a little. I don't know. It was kind of paranoia-inducing um, when I started to look at the list too much. What what I what I what we saw down here, and I really feel for our undergraduates, is that they they came back thinking they were only going to be online for one week, um, but then that really quickly uh, shifted to four weeks. And many of them in, in they're uh, they're living in triples, and so there are three of them to a single dorm room. And the kind of declaration from the administration was really clear. And I understand the intention to keep a bubble or to create a bubble in Davis, but uh, was to say, don't go home, you know, don't leave campus. And, and to me, that I think is kind of not taking into account the toll that our students have um, or the toll that uh, has, has been taken on our students um, wellness over the over the course of the past two years. Yeah, it's the the mental health of our students is a constant area of concern uh, because this it, it, it's it's the never ending story, and that's yes. the kind of the life of li you know living in this pandemic. And we can't lose sight of the fact that this pandemic is real, and it's it's wreaked havoc on uh, families and communities in the country with the number of people who. Uh, have died from it and, and the way it's stressed our healthcare systems. And, you know, people are looking for a place where there's some level of normalcy and they're hoping to get that in schools. And so there's a, there's a real pressure to keep schools operational. Uh, and the question becomes, how do we do it safely? How do we do it uh, in a way that, um, you know, keeps the doors open? And if we look at a place like Chicago where the teachers union said, you know what, we don't think it's safe and we're going to, we're going to st step away and do remote instruction until there are some measures taken to ramp up testing um, and to ensure that, uh, you know, there's, there's adequate tracking. Uh, you know, it's, we can't underestimate the impact this has on trying to operate schools. So what, tell me your sense of what's going on uh, in Chicago. So what I, what I see is I think that the, the fear is, and, and I think it's a justified fear is that there weren't, what the union, as I understand it, was asking for are really clear parameters for what 
will keep a school open or what will force a school to close based on infections. And to me, it's pretty surprising after nearly two years of the pandemic that those parameters aren't in place. And so from that perspective, I totally agree. And, and I also, I can also see that if, you know, if the protocols that they're calling for uh, aren't there, I realize the challenges of acquiring tests nationally are, th those are, that's a very real challenge in regions across the country. Um, that the teachers want to be in a place that's safe. And also, as you were kind of saying, that the schools need the teachers to be healthy or else school can't function. Because students will, there are always enough students to open school. Um, right. But, but what we've seen in, in San Francisco last week, uh, you and I were chatting before we started recording, is that there, there were three to four times the teachers out that they had substitute teachers. And so that you can't open schools. You, you don't have enough administrators. You don't have enough support staff uh, on a school site in order to kind of just put a body in front of students um, to make sure they get safely through their day. And I think that that at the, is at the core of what um, the Chicago teachers are, um, are fighting for. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, you know, not having enough staff to safely operate schools, I think, is what's driving many of the the returns to remote instruction we see. I, I've seen um, districts around our state send out notification to students and families, say, hey, be prepared for the possibility of, you know, essentially rolling five to 10 day remote learning times, either for classrooms or entire school buildings. And so rather than a, an entire district necessarily going remote, it's being localized to the classroom of the school. Now, in some cases, school districts aren't large enough that they can do that. And if one school goes, then everybody's got to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and we saw that, I saw that happen this week in, a, in one of the districts just outside of Portland. They just did not have enough staff to cover things. They had to go to remote. And some of the Portland high schools, some but not all have gone remote. And so I think this idea of rolling um, one week to two week remote learning possibilities is reality for a lot of districts. And, and I know for the, for the schools I operate, if we get more than 10% staff absences on a day, we'll struggle to, to, to keep everything staffed the way we need to do. We've, we've hired people whose job is simply to be an on-site substitute, uh, and we utilize them, and then we utilize administrative staff and, and support staff to cover. But at some point, we will just run out of coverage. And I know in our, I know before the winter break, there were a couple days where the local uh, ESD that provides substitutes uh, ran out. And sometimes not just by one or two, but by dozens, three and four and five dozen substitute spots were left unfilled, which means, which means those classrooms had to be covered some way else. And so it's really, in a sense, added another layer to the dilemma. We've got the health concerns, which are, which are preeminent, but then we've got staffing concerns on top of that. So each and every day brings with it multiple levels of decisions at schools on how are we going to operate. Right. And, and I think that your point was really, really, I think, poignant that this isn't just a one day. It's never a one day situation because of how quarantines work is that we're, you are talking about you know, a minimum of one week, if not, and likely two weeks of operations being changed 
dramatically. And I think that this takes us back to, I know we've had the discussion before, and for me it is like rewinding exactly a year to discussions we were having, is that I think that that, that kind of stop-start and shifting, um, while I think students sadly have gotten used to it, uh, and they, they are uh, probably more nimble in their ability to pivot than, um, than some of us who have been around for a long time when 20% of our lives were not the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, that that the re- the reality is is I do think that we are going to see profound learning loss, and that worries me from a number of perspectives. And I'm not a big numbers person when it comes to measuring growth in education with test scores, but some of the data that was coming out from last year, it it is really I think that we are going to see years of um, years of learning loss, and I'm not positive that we know how to kind of um, recover that? Well, I think that we've already seen that just in the short term that there's there's this immediate learning loss, right, where students just did not receive as much instruction uh, over the past couple of years, test scores decline. Um, and so we see that, you know, what I think of as immediate learning loss. But we're also going to experience as communities and, and as a society extended learning loss, where we have students who now perhaps are getting a spot where, I, I don't know, maybe school's not for me anymore. I mean, we've kind of broken the mythology that you have to be in a, in a classroom, in a seat, 180 days a year for six hours a day for education to happen, right? We, we've shown students and families that, oh, actually, you can do this in a couple hours a day, or you can do it coming part-time, or you can do it all from home. And in that process we have shifted what learning looks like and have had the potential for loss. Now I'm not, I'm not against the shifts that we're making. I think some of them can be positive, but they've happened in a way that they weren't necessarily well conceived. And so the quality of education by the nature of the pandemic, it, it reduces it. And so where I'm going with that is that some students are just going to maybe give up on, chasing after the best education they can. And maybe you're going to get to more students will get to a spot of how do I be done with this so I can get on with the rest of my life? Right. And I think that if we are, because I think that this, this is something that we can think about from, from the perspective of how can this be potentially a positive moment? Because I agree with you that some of some of the changes are changes that are, that kind of um, educational thinkers have been calling for for quite a long time. And the fact that we've been able to realize them, uh, realize those changes, but not in the kind of the planned way, as you kind of in a, in a really well, well wrought system, um, kind of leads me to leads me to ask the question or, or to think about, you know, at some point, we probably as a system need to be transparent with our students and say like, yes, we can offer you this, but this is what it kind of means. And it's not a GED type of situation, but it, it's not, it, is, it is something that students have to know that they're getting something different and we have to acknowledge that for them. Yeah, and we're going to have to, I think, as a education system as a whole, identify what that different is, right? That, yes. That this is different. And I think, in the short term, we'll put too fine a point on it. But if we think longitudinally, the reality is each year, if, you know, if maybe more, uh, certainly shorter than generations, 
what it means to be a high school graduate has changed significantly yes. over time. And this is another change in that. And it, it doesn't mean that it's going to be worse for everybody, but it means how we view education changes. And I think at some point we're going to have to be honest about what that means. You know, in, in the state of Oregon, uh, the state uh, suspended the essential skills requirement, which, you know, some critics took to meaning that, you know, people don't have to do anything anymore to get a high school diploma. And that's not true. It's one element of it. But they, they suspended the, the required testing program to, to meet essential skills. We still have to test students, but the, the essential skills part doesn't matter. And they're, they're engaging in a multi-year study to determine what should high school graduation credits look like. And I think it, it might not have been initiated because of the pandemic, but it's certainly going to be formed because of that. And my expectation is in a couple of years, we'll talk honestly about, okay, what does it really mean to get a high school diploma and how do we help students do that in a, in a fashion that works for them? Right. And, and, and I think that those, because the numbers are, are pretty clear that the more students that we can get nationally to get high school diplomas, it's better for our society. It's better for those students lives, certainly in terms of their earning potential and their earning power uh, in, ter in terms of kind of establishing what we, you know, you know, broadly describe as, a, you know, a, a successful, a successful professional existence um, that I think that the more students we can get with diplomas, I think that's an important thing and not to make the bar. And hopefully this is that moment where the bar to get that diploma isn't isn't university preparedness. Uh, it, and we've talked over that a number of times. Yeah, and hopefully it also is is equitable and just with mm -hmm. recognition that each student is coming into school from the pandemic with a different background um, and that different parts of our country uh, fund education differently uh, based upon zip code and that we need to be conscious of ensuring that every one of our students has has a defined metric that allows them to identify as a high school graduate, and we do the work to t to get them there, right? And um, I think I think we're learning some of that through this you know, through this pandemic. Um, and I think the longer the pandemic hangs on, the more will happen to ensure that students get what they need to to exit school successfully. Uh, which is, is a bit counterintuitive when I think about that. But because everything is disrupted seemingly every day or potentially every day, there's been a huge focus on getting students exactly what they need uh, mm -hmm. in a more targeted manner rather than a universal manner. And I think if, if we're looking for positives, that's one. Yeah, and, and I think that that positive – it is thinking about the student as a human and not just, um, you know, a test taking machine. And I think that that's really vital. And I do hope kind of to, to piggyback on that comment, I do hope when you're saying that kind of that Oregon has suspended the essential skills, that there's a ramping up process and that all of a sudden when things get back to, you know, when we're in classes together without masks again, uh, that those test scores with the same with the same benchmarks don't come right back to hit a group of students in the face who have who have lost two plus years of um, of kind of school in, in the same level of schooling that they had before. 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see. I think there's this there's this huge desire from everybody inside and outside of education to get back to and I'm making air quotes normal. Yes, <laughs> I try not to say that. I was trying to figure out how to right? do air quotes on on air. Yeah, well, just uh, people can assume that I have you know uh, fingers moving to do that and. Um, people's desire to get back to that uh, makes me concerned that if we do get a sense that we're just going to return to right where we were. And, and I'm the more, the longer this goes on, the less that's possible and the less it will happen. Um, that said, we, I mean, I want to get through this. I mean, this has been the most exhausting uh, years of my educational career. Um, so let me ask you this, as we start to wrap up, to what extent do you feel like students and teachers are recovering from the pandemic and, um, or do you think people are trying to survive or do you think, you know, where, where do you think we are in terms of education and, and the recovery? So I would say just, and this is from my personal experience and because I've only kind of existed regionally along the West coast that I feel like, um, the fall, I was starting to feel the potential of, uh, transitioning out. And while we were still, you know, masks were still universal in classroom settings on campus, um, as I think it, it, I think is true in many places across the country. Um, the Omicron, I was surprised at, um, how quick one, and this is, this is me maybe showing my ignorance, but how quickly, uh, it developed into a, um, a major issue that was that was transforming not only my education but everyone I know's school experience, and and to me I would say like that really halted my recovery. And as I alluded to a little bit earlier, like it rewinded me exactly one year where I felt like really mired down before I you know before I had my first vaccine that like this is interminable and I cannot wait. And, and I think the thing for me, and, and I know a lot of people I'm talking to are feeling this way, the idea that we thought like we were in some sort of competition and we could see the finish line and that finish line moved, um, you know, about two weeks ago. Right. No, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, I know I, I got my third shot uh, and I was like, OK, we're 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 getting to a spot where we might get through this. And then, you know, seemingly, like you said, within a couple of weeks, uh, we're back looking at case counts. You know, we've got a massive, uh, you know, uh, tracking document and we've got to come up with contingency plans. And, you know, and at some point uh, that just becomes overwhelming for folks. So what I'm looking at in people is trying to is trying to see if people, you know, do we still have the resilience necessary to make it through this so that we don't start hemorrhaging staff members uh which are who are necessary to make sure we operate school. And I think that's going to be a challenge we face is, okay, can we, can we keep enough staff healthy and safe to ensure we can operate schools? And then once that's over with though, can we support those folks to keep them in the profession? Because this is the number of staff that I've had come to me to ask to go to part-time or to let me know that, uh, they're going to take a year off or that they're going to pursue something else uh, is higher than it's ever been in my career. Yeah, that's, and that, that's, that's really alarming. And, and, and I think that it can extend to how many people are going to enter the profession. Right. Uh, 
and and that's probably for another pod. Um, like, what what are the incentives to go into public education uh, post pandemic as a career? I think is something we could muse on for quite a while. <laughs> Absolutely, right. And and in all this, we're thinking about you know our students who, you know, are, you know, into their you know their they're entering into their third year of dealing with this, right? When you think about it in terms of school, you know, school years or school terms. Um, and we've got staff that if you started your teaching career and you did your, if you were doing your student teaching uh, in 1920 and now you're teaching, you're in your, your, you're in your second year of teaching and you, you don't know what schools are supposed to look like anymore. No, no, that's very true. Right? So... Yeah. And Which be, might be a good thing. Hey, that's actually a good pod too. Right. So another pod for another day. Here we are just generating ideas. Yeah. I'm taking notes. Yeah. Well, folks, we, we appreciate you listening into Education on the Rocks. We, we uh, love to interact with you on social media. So uh, tell us what your thoughts are. How's it going in your neck of the woods? And, uh, you know, how do you think uh, your schools and your staff are holding up? And certainly, you know, at the end of the day, education is about students and getting them to where it be. But you know, today we're talking a little bit about what does it look like from, a, you know, this perspective of, of teachers. Uh, so let us know your thoughts. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Bullock Speaks. George, where can they find you? I'm at George underscore Hegarty. So uh, let us know what you think. Send us a note. Uh, while you're at it, go ahead and leave us a positive review, maybe a five-star review on your favorite uh, podcast listening app, and we'd, we'd appreciate that. And if you're a purveyor of whiskey or you just have a bottle you enjoy, feel free to hit us up and we'll be happy to, to drink your whiskey and talk about it on the air. So um, we appreciate you joining us today. Take a pause, take a sip, and we'll be, right, we'll be right back after this break with After the Ice Melts. Well, we've had a drink and we've talked about the educational issues of the day, and now it's time to talk about what's next. So this is a segment we like to call After the Ice Melts. So George, what do you got planned for yourself? What are you doing next? What are you doing after the ice melts? So I've got two today. One, the first is what I'm not doing. I've never d tried this one before. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I have an, I've always been the person that I don't really do anything around New Year's because I've, my life has existed in the school system. And so my New Year's is either in August or September. It's never been... January, you know, turning over onto January 1st. But my spouse um, is kind of like a new year, new me person. And she decided that we were going to drink celery juice in the morning <laughs> on an empty stomach. And uh, so, so this morning, and, and I can tell the story because I got the results right before we recorded tonight. I was feeling, my mouth was feeling really weird. And I thought like, oh, maybe this is Omicron. So we can test on campus and, and we have to test every other week. And so it's really accessible, which is nice. So I, I went in and tested today negative, And then I did some research. Apparently the side effects of uh, being allergic to celery are really, really mirror some of the Omicron stuff. Uh, <laughs> and so it turns out that I have a celery allergy that is induced by my wife, and it could have ended up in anaphylaxis. So I'm not sure where that's uh, where our marriage is headed after that, but that is what I'm not doing ever again is drinking celery juice. That might be the most legendary after the ice melts in the history of the pod. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So what yeah. are you doing? 
So yeah, it, I want to recommend a book. I haven't done this in a while. Um, over the break, I read um, a novel by C. Pam Zhang. Uh, it, it's called How Much of These Hills is Gold. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's heartbreaking. Uh, it's a tale of uh, 19th century uh, California gold country and um, uh, people of Chinese uh, American descent and kind of their family saga and quest. And it just is, I don't want to give any spoilers, so I'm trying to talk around it, but I cannot recommend it more highly. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it's not one where you'll be laughing a ton probably, but I think that you'll be thinking uh, for many weeks after you complete it. So that's my recommendation. How much of these hills is gold? Awesome. How about, how about you? What do you have going? Well, I, I've thought a lot about what all the things that uh, I'm going to do after the ice melts. You know, one of them is uh, I'm going to watch the African Cup of Nations uh, soccer tournament. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, continental uh, tournaments. So I've got that going on. But uh, that's probably a pretty nuanced viewing audience because you have to have uh, BN Sports Extra. Uh, in order I was to, gonna, I was, that was my question is what are you watching on because I can only I can only see stuff on the internet I, I'm watching it at weird hours on BN sports extra but uh, you know in my house we've been accustomed to my odd hour uh, soccer watching so uh, that was what I was going to talk about then I realized you know what I need to talk about uh, you and I have played a number of rounds of Dungeons and Dragons together you know that I'm a, a big fan of RPGs and you may recall Probably a decade, decade and a half ago, I started playing World of Warcraft. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. And, um, well, over break, I was like, I wonder if that, I wonder what that game's like. Well, I started playing World of Warcraft again. And so um, I didn't know this, but they increased the character classes, and now you can play a monk. And you'll recall from being yeah. a DM that I love the monk because of the Fists of Fury, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that you can do as a monk. And so I've been playing a monk. And, I believe uh, your monk's name was Yaya. It was. after <laughs> African Af Cup of Nations. African Cup of Nations time there. Yaya Torre, uh, the greatest soccer player ever to never get a birthday cake from his teammates. Uh, <laughs> Google that, folks. Um, so anyway, I have successfully leveled up to level 30 on World of Warcraft in a couple of weeks. And while there's a part of me, like the 15-year-old me, that's super proud of that, the 50-year-old me is wondering, how far have I actually come in this world? But, but that's what I'm doing after the ice melts. I think that that's, I, I think that's a commendable way to spend your time. <laughs> it, it gets me into a different world, you know? Uh, so <laughs> World of Warcraft, if you play, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter, at Speaks. Let me know your screen name. Maybe we'll go on a, a campaign or a dungeon raid together. I'm just saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm throwing that out there. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll go play WoW with some of our listeners. I'm not afraid of that. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> so in the meantime, folks, thanks so much for listening to us. We enjoy doing this for you. We're going to get back on our regular schedule now. The break's over. Uh, we enjoy sharing a glass of whiskey with you uh, and talking about issues in education. You can support us by uh, reviewing us on your favorite uh, web, uh, podcast app. Uh, you can also uh, interact with us on Twitter. As I said, I'm at Speaks, And George, you are? George underscore Hegarty. And so hit us up. Let us know what you think and uh, let us know uh, about your whiskeys and your education issues. And uh, we appreciate you listening in. We'll be back soon. Uh, until then, take a pause, take a sip. Thank you for listening to Education on the Rocks. You can connect with us on Twitter 
George is at George underscore Hegarty, and I am at Jay Bullock Speaks. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, and please give us a rating on iTunes and leave a comment. Until then, look for us next week as we continue to discuss education on the rocks. <laughs>